ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engines running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Welcome to Launchpad Pod. I'm Aaron. I'm Matt. And we're continuing our mini-sode series, What Have You Been Watching? Matt, what have you been watching? Well, I just watched a movie that surprised me. Yeah, what is it? It was called Pacific Rim 2. Oh, Rim Job Rising? I got to say, man, you and I, I think Pacific Rim was one of those movies that like kind of polarized the Launchpad, where you were like, man, that movie was awesome. And I was like, what part of that movie was awesome? Oh, Pacific Rim 1 is one of my favorite like love letters to other movies, other genres. Yeah. Gilmo <laughs> Del Toro wrote, Dear Kaiju Movies, sorry I sucked at this so bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, Pacific Rim 1 was okay. No. I just wanted it to be so much more. And it was like right out of the gate. It's like, wait. You need two people to mind bang before you fucking move a robot. And like, no, it's a neural handshake. No, just fucking strap in. Rumi, it takes two people to run the Launchpad podcast. We're, you and I, ha- we're you, having a mental handshake. You and I would run a fucking awesome Jaeger, don't you Dude, think? He'd be doing like the wave and shit, doing like some moonwalking shit. super fucking cool. And can you imagine... <laughs> Think, uh, <laughs> I'm just thinking on the news, they're like, today on the news, the Launchpad podcast Jaeger got into some hot water when he made an obscene hand gesture after defeating a kaiju and teabagging it. I was going <laughs> to say, we probably couldn't get out of the hangar at first because they're like, uh, gentlemen, you need to do something about those erections before you start trying to pilot a two-story robot. <laughs> we're like, we're in a two-story robot! <laughs> Yeah, Pacific Rim 1, though, it was okay. I just wanted it to be more. And like we've talked about this before, anytime we talk about giant whatevers, humans are inconsequential. Yes. I don't care who their dad is. I don't care who their sister is. Yeah. I don't care who their love interest is. And I guess you really can't have an hour and a half of giant robots and monsters. I, I disagree there. <laughs> I would watch... I, I don't care Like if we ever met what was happening. I don't care if they ever mentioned what city of it was. If mm-hmm. there was... An hour and a half. Two hours might be long. If there was an hour and a half of monsters just fighting in a city until the city was nothing but rubble and one of those monsters was dead, I'd watch you that. You don't think that'd be too much like the beginning of uh, um, Revenge of the Sith where it's just like action, 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 Would CGI, you pay money CGI? to see it? Oh, I, I mean, I paid money for the first and the second one. I mean, one of, here's, here's an example of a movie that, that most people might be like, there's too much, there's not enough like substance. Shakespeare in Love. <laughs> Not nearly enough monster fighting. True, true. Um, Hardcore Henry. Mm. It was a first-person movie that usually that doesn't happen a lot. That's not a very uh, popular genre. But this was a first-person, a first-person movie from the point of view of the main protagonist, who is like a cyborg man with super action powers, and the movie was non-stop balls to the wall violence and action i haven't seen it is it good uh, i high five myself so hard <laughs> it was it was incredible i'm glad i didn't see it in the movie theater because i would have gotten sick because the shaky cam is a little out of control like very much out of control because it's first person right but by the end of the movie he's fighting a, a, t- a telekinetic villain 
who he's just murdered over 100 people on a rooftop fight. Bodies lying everywhere. And the telekinesis baddie is floating in the air and raises the bodies up. So there's like all these bodies floating in the air and all this junk floating in the air. And the guy starts jumping from body to body and then like jumping at the guy and punching him and fighting him from <laughs> the floating bodies. Yeah. And it's like, how can you not be so amped that this movie sure. is doing it? So like, yeah, the, the first person thing is a little tough to watch. But at the end of the day, there's two hours of nothing but action. And I was so on board. Uh, well, uh, all right. If anyone's listening, Guillermo, if you want to do an hour and a half giant robot fighting movie, we you have at least two people who will watch it as unbiasedly <laughs> as possible. That said, the problems of the first Pacific Rim still exist in the second Pacific Rim, but in my mind, the reward is way better than the first. It is like you watch Godzilla movie, it's Godzilla, then jibber jabber, jibber jabber humans. Then Godzilla does something else or another, you know, giant kaiju, then jibber jabber, jibber jabber, jibber jabber humans. Yeah. This is just jibber jabber humans, jibber jabber humans, jibber jabber humans. And you're like, fuck. To the point where, like, in the movie, I started Shitty Movie Sunday, like, making jokes about, like, they'd talk about a Jaeger or a kaiju. And I'd be like, but can we see it? And they're like, J no. The answer is no. <clears throat> Until you do. And now, maybe if I went and saw it a second time, I would think it wasn't that great. But the first couple good, like, action sequences with with the, the, the Jaegers and, oh, I won't, I won't give it away, but... Awesome, and I you definitely would have high fived. Yeah. I would I would have had I would have been very surprised if you didn't high five. Oh man, I'm excited. <laughs> I haven't seen this movie yet. I'm super stoked. Uh, hopefully, by the time this airs, I'll get to see it, and we'll give you an update. But that's freaking awesome, man. I'm super excited about that movie. It's good. It, it's fun, it, and it was fun. So, what have you been watching? I've been sticking with some classics, man. I watched the Orson Welles classic Touch of Evil. Oh. With the super famous long tracking shot. This movie's really interesting. I hadn't seen this movie and, you know, studied it in film school. Like, I've seen lots of bits and pieces you of this movie. You didn't actually see it until the other day? Not the full length, oh. yeah. Oh. Because in film school, you sure. research this movie and you watch all these bits and pieces. Yeah, 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 long static tracking shot. Yeah, 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 Shadow is awesome. Yeah. Oh, man, Orson Welles, he's so good. So, you know, we did a lot of the, the, the bits and pieces, so I was like, yeah. I got enough to ace this test. I don't really need much more than that, right? So I hadn't finished it, so I didn't know like what happened. Mm -hmm. So we watched it, and for those who don't know, this is the movie where Orson Welles plays a fat, drunk, super racist cop. Awesome. And, and he does it well. Yep. And Charleston Heston play, plays a Mexican DA. Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston. <laughs> It's it's so funny. He's in brownface. It's a little mm -hmm. a little jarring for today's age, um, but back then they just didn't even blink at it. They're like, he's an actor. He's playing a character. He's got like this mustache, and he's painted brown. And he's like, "Hola, me amigo." And he like he he tries to do an accent, but he just still sounds like Charles Heston. Yeah. <laughs> but he plays like a he's like a DA or an investigator who's who's taking this mob family to trial, and the rest of the family is threatening him and his new wife, played by Janet Lee, from Psycho fame. Mm -hmm. And the movie's really good. Oh, it's real. I mean, it's it gets a little creepy at yeah, times. Like, oh. like, it's one of those movies where when there's a, I don't not to give it away, but there's a part where Janet Lee is in danger. Yeah. And, like, you're fucking concerned about her. You're like, oh, shit, is this going to happen? Well, they hold you hanging there for a while where you're mm -hmm. like, did, did that happen? Did right. what I think happened happen? Right, and it's especially like a fifties or sixties. What is the movie? Fifties, I think. Yeah, it, and you're like, did that just go there? But yeah. you don't know. And they they confirm later. They're like, 
oh, here's what exactly happened. But they leave you hanging for a minute where you're like, ooh. Yeah, that guy. and you're like, fuck, this is serious. Like, yeah, it's not just threatening people. Like, shit could be going down here. Yeah, it's pretty It's pretty intense. And there's a lot of moments where you're like, please just go go find your wife. Please just go find her <laughs> and save her from this situation. But the whole time he's like, he's trying to investigate this murder and Orson Welles, the fat drunk cop, is super racist. Like every chance he gets, he says something really nasty about Mexico and and uh, about Hispanics. And it's, just, it's all about the border, right? The yeah, border crossing it's directly on the border. Yeah, and and they keep jumping back and forth uh, on east side, either side, trying to go get people. And like Marlena Dietrich is in this, and she's a famous, famous like classic movie film star, and she. She's she's most famous for her eyes because they would always do that like single strip of light across her eyes and mm. she had these like really dreamy eyes and she plays this like gypsy woman. Well, I don't think she's gypsy, but she's like a, a tarot card. Racist. Like, she, You're <laughs> a fat racist cop. Yeah. <laughs> she, dude, she's just a regular woman in brown face with a rag on her head. You calling her a gypsy? But she had tarot cards. And sure, like, yeah. Whatever. She's a fortune teller. <laughs> Who makes a mean cup of chili, and uh, and and Orson Welles? Uh, she she's just she she has a cool cameo in this. Zsa Gabor has a cameo. She mm-hmm. plays the madam of the of the the strip club that's in the movie. It's an awesome movie. And you want to talk quick about the 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 first scene, which I think is the most iconic scene of the movie. And a lot of people who have like you, I yeah. guess like you, who haven't even seen the movie or at least familiar with the idea of the first scene, if not have so seen it before. The scene opens. It's a street. You know, you're in the street on this border town, and it's in Mexico, and you see all these people, like, nightlife going on, and it pans over, and you see this guy with a bomb with a timer on it, and he sets the timer for a couple of minutes, puts the bomb in the trunk of a car, and then runs away, and this whole thing is done in a single take. Sure. A single take. And back in the day, film reels were basically only four minutes long, so you had to get this entire thing right in one take. In four minutes. That's all you had before you had to do it again. And right. I would love to find out how many times they, it took them they to do, do this. Because then the car starts driving and it follows the car. And then it picks up on people walking. And then it picks up on Charlton Heston and his <laughs> new bride. And they're walking and talking. And every now and then you pick the car up again as it goes. And it goes for like four minutes. And then it goes across the border. And then Charlton Heston and Janet Lee walk across the border. And then the car just explodes. And the first cut is to see the car just engulfed in flames. And it's really it, it really is a classic. The reason that they teach us it is... Because it it, it, it it is a super suspenseful scene, a super successful suspenseful scene where, you know, you as the audience know that there is a bomb in that car mm-hmm. and nobody else in the scene knows that. So as the car is driving around, you're waiting for that to explode. And it's it's very Hitchcockian in that, like, you and the director know what's going on, but the cast does yeah. not. The characters don't know what's what is going to happen. And you don't know if that bomb was set for one minute or four minutes or 12 minutes or 100 minutes, you know, so you're just waiting to see what happens. It's really, really good. It's really cool. And the, and the movie is really cool, too, because it's not only just the murder mystery of who blew up this car, but like dealing with the obstruction of justice. Because Charlton Heston knows that fat, drunk racist Orson Welles is planting evidence and trying to railroad people. Yeah, he's people. a crooked kind of cop. And he, he, unco- yeah. he uncovers a lot of it. Like, he uncovers, mm-hmm. like, a deeper conspiracy about, like, a lot of this guy's cases. So that's happening. And then while that's happening, he has this whole prosecuting this this big drug cartel. And, mm. the, and the drug cartel's extended family is, like, 
menacing him and his wife. And they keep threatening the wife and this whole scene where they, they kidnap her and it's just like, man, it, it it's so layered and was so interesting. But the whole time you're like, Charlton Heston's in brown face. <laughs> see, see. Now, I have, I have the Blu-ray of this. I forget what edition, but it's a nice edition. Yeah. It has a couple cuts in the movie because apparently this is one of those movies that yes. was made... Orson Welles, who, if you guys don't know anything about Orson Welles, I mean, just Wikipedia him real quick, because he's one of my favorite directors, just as far as a personality, because he's fucking just ridiculous of what he, he had a vision in his head, and he was like, I'm fucking doing this, win, lose, or draw, this is how I want it done. His, his most, I mean, this is probably considered his best movie, but his most famous movie is Citizen, Citizen Kane. Kane. Yeah. And like, that's another one that we studied in school, and it's like so amazing the things that he did and didn't do and was allowed to do and yeah. demanded to do. But in this movie, A Touch of Evil, there was a couple scenes where they, you know, the either the censors or the studio wanted to cut some things down or out, mm-hmm. and he fought against it. But at this time, his power as a director and as a as a personality in Hollywood was waning. Yeah. So he couldn't win as many of those arguments as well, he could back during like Citizen Kane days. So they grabbed a different director and did reshoots. Exactly. And so and he that hurt him so bad. There were numerous times where he was piping up like I have in this DVD set that I have or Blu-ray set, it has um like a notebook and it has notes that he wrote being like, listen, I just watched a cut of this movie and you need to put this here instead of here because it makes no sense. And it's really interesting to see or read the director's own words yeah. about a certain cut of the movie and why he thought, like literally he'll be like, this this shot you have goes on too long. It breaks the suspense because then the next shot you have cuts to this. It's really, as a, as someone who's involved in film, it's really interesting to, to, to see another filmmaker's process like that you know and especially that he understood the the point of the scene the point of the scene is to build the tension if you build it Correct. long enough the brevity of the next scene so like he knew the timing right he knew the camera placement like that you didn't get a low angle here the low angle shows imposing right like like it gave you the sense of danger but now you shot it at this angle, and now that doesn't mean anything. So it's interesting. So it was a 60-page manifesto that he sent to the studio, and they were like, whatever. They released the movie anyway. He was kind of pissed off. But then years later, I think after his death, they re-edited it. Sure. Based on those notes, and there's a more complete... Uh, Walter Murch helped re-edit that, and then that version... That's the version that I watched, was the, oh, was the re- recut version that was closer to his original I think that's the one I... And I saw, I saw it recently at Arclight with a buddy of mine, Ooh. and it was pretty cool. And I'm pretty sure that was like the recut edition. I don't think that was the yeah. original release. The original release was still hailed as great, but you got someone like Orson Welles who knows his shit, and he at least knows what he wants, you know? He was like, that's not how it's supposed to be. It's really interesting. He's he's someone that I'm fascinated by. I've never heard a, a non-fascinating story about Orson Welles. Walter Murch was this, is a famous sound editor, but he also edited some films. His, mm. his sound was on Apocalypse Now, and he wrote Return to Oz. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> we should do an episode about that show. <laughs> Return to Oz? Yeah. Yeah, Mumby. <laughs> Love that stuff. Yeah, it was a great movie. I was really into it. Haven't seen much else lately, other than what we've been watching for our our podcast. Yeah, I've been watch, watch a ton of Italian horror. Yeah. I watched a ton of Godzilla movies. Yeah, if you guys didn't check it out, you should check out our Test Pattern Crosscast. We did a, a, the Italian horror episode with Jacob and Tab from the Test Pattern Podcast. That was a lot of fun. I really It was. Really and if you guys that. listen, we have our, the Launchpad Podcast has a Italian 
horror episode yep. that is out right now. Mm-hmm. And that's like our take on Italian horror. It's our show. But then we went with these guys on their test pattern podcast and we did different movies and, you know, they kind of view it from a different angle than we did. They're a little bit more academic about it than yeah. we are. But I'm sure you guys are all, you guys all listen to a ton of podcasts, but theirs is a great one to listen to. It, you know, we, I thought we, we were, we worked really well with them. So we did. it's not, if you listen to our Italian horror and their Italian horror, it's two completely different episodes, yep. two completely different takes. We talk about different topics. It's definitely worth checking both of them out. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. And, and I loved working with them. I mean, the reason I wanted to do stuff with them is because they love sort of the hidden gems mm, yeah. and we love the hidden gems. Like yeah. we just like, it's easy for everybody to talk about Friday the 13th, which we've done, but when you get to also talk about some of these weirder ones that might not City be. City of the Living Dead. City of the Living Dead. How many lamb intestines Bay can you swallow? Yeah. Uh, about 20 seconds. <laughs> 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 I, I just lent all those movies to Chris Canavo and his girlfriend, Tasha, a bunch of the Italian horrors. So nice. I'm, I'm getting them hooked up with that. And Chris, who was on our What Have You Been Watching last time, he is going to be on next week for uh, our Godzilla series. We're kicking off a Godzilla series where we cover the entire franchise. Yeah, 20-something Godzilla movies. It's, it's like 30 movies, yeah. It's it's fun, man. It's it, And that was a good... <laughs> that's another one of those things, just like Italian horror, where I was like... Man, I don't know if I've seen all of them, but then we start talking. I'm like, I've seen most of them, and I know a big chunk. You think about like my head, right? Like if you could lock and key my head and open it up. Yeah, there's a huge fucking Godzilla chunk. Yeah, there's a you huge know, like, Godzilla chunk. There's I don't remember like a lot about like Europe and like other continents. I don't even know <laughs> that I can name all of the states in the United States. I probably could after a while, <laughs> but like I couldn't. I couldn't point them all out on a map. I'm I'm fairly sure of that. But if you show me like a fucking kaiju. I can tell you his name. Yeah. I could probably tell you what movie he originated <laughs> in. <laughs> right? Well, I was talking to my brother Kevin about this, and he was like... What state does he live in? Indianapolis. I don't know where that is. <laughs> <laughs> he lives in Indi- <laughs> Indiana. <laughs> you said, you said Indianapolis. Yeah. We're both stupid. We're both dumb as fuck right now. <laughs> your, your kindergartner's like, Mr. C, that's not a state. That's a city. That's why I teach kindergarten, because all I have to know is ABCs and shapes. Um, <laughs> I got those fucking things down. Circle, square, gigan. I mean. Room <laughs> three. That's funny. Oh, man. But so I was talking to my brother, and he was like, he was like, yeah, dude, our, our video store had a surprisingly good collection of Godzilla movies, and we would rent them. And then, like, just play with our toys in front of the TV. Sure. Where it's like, talk, 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 okay, okay. And then you'd hear that, dun, dun, dun. You're like, oh, Godzilla's on. Godzilla's on, pay attention. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, we watched a shit ton of those. Loved it. Speaking of lock and key, since you mentioned this, Hulu dropped the pilot. Yeah, you texted me that a day ago, and I almost shit. What, is there more to that? That's all I got. They didn't pick it up. Damn. They didn't take it. And, what, this has had at least two different pilots for Fox and Hulu now. They say they're still shopping around. They're showing it to Netflix, showing it to HBO. This is a great property. Someone's going to pick, if, if it's done right, someone's going to pick it up and it's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. Everyone who passed on it is going to be like, fuck. If, yeah. if it's done right, because I feel yep. like budget and other reasons, you can you can kill it. Oh, you but, could you could completely fuck this as up. As a book, it's fucking, it's brilliant. And I don't feel like it would take very much. I mean, you have TV shows like the Walking Dead, Black Mirror. Like, how can you not make a show? You have Daredevil. How can you not make a like? It's not that you can't make Lock and Key as it is, right? You can use the special effects 
there's ways to photograph that shit. There's ways to make that story. You might have to condense it a little bit to make it more of a coherent show, but I don't think so. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't know. I don't IDW, know. talk to us. Talk to us. We can help you out. We know how to make this happen. Yeah, I, like I'm just thinking how to do the the inside the headshots. I think we can do this. Well, Rumi, since you mentioned it, we have a very big announcement for the Launchpad Podcast. We do. You mentioned The Walking Dead, and we'd love to announce that I am the new VFX supervisor for Walking Dead Season 9. That's sort of clapping. <laughs> I was holding the microphone in one hand and clapping on my calf. <laughs> well, congr- yeah, congratulations, but that's super, super fucking cool. Really excited. Uh, this is something that Aaron thought might, ha- or at least was in the running for for a while. It was one of the longest interview processes I've so, ever had. You handle it like a champ. You always seem like really chill about it, when you, at least when you talk to me about it. Oh, man. The last few weeks, it was like one of the last 10 minutes of one of those Bachelorette shows. They got one rose, and they're ready to give it to you, but they keep cutting to commercial, and you're just like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got a rose, right? Yeah, I got Ultimately. the rose. I got the rose. What kind of stuff are you going to be doing for the show? Do you know? I do. I do. I'm going to be the person who helps develop what the VFX, how the VFX works. So they're like, hey, we need to chop somebody's head off. How, how do we do that? And I am going to work with the practical team to be like, how much can you do? How much do I need to do? How much How much does the does the digital team need to do? How much can practical can we do? If they're like, hey, we need to go to a crazy location. Well, you know, we're obviously filming on a soundstage or filming here or there. But we need to go to a location that we don't have. How do we make that happen? It's like, well, how much of it can we build and how much of it is going to be matte paintings? Like helping supervise that process and helping figure out the, the VFX so that when it comes back to post and the VFX teams can start working on it, they have the pieces that they need. They make sure that it's shot right and make sure that it's uh, shot complete and they have all the different puzzle pieces to help make the show. Now, digital stuff is definitely your realm. Yes. Just like animation is not my realm at all. But let me just tell you something I've learned over the years. Yes. Don't put dicks on things. <laughs> like, a lot of Disney animators put dicks in things. Now there's like, everyone's bitching about it. Just It's probably really funny to do. But don't put dicks on things. I've hid my names in plenty of things. You can hide your name. Names are fine. Yeah. Unless okay. your name is Richard. <laughs> Don't put dicks on things. That's funny. No, dude, that's super cool. I know that we're all, everyone here at the Launchpad is really proud of you, and I'm super proud. Thanks, man. It's going to mean that Rumi and I have to physically break up for a little while. But what does that mean for the Launchpad pod? Well, hopefully nothing. We're going to keep doing it. I'm going to be a lot busier, so we might have to maybe have more episodes that are a little bit shorter, but I don't think we're going to, I don't think it's going to change how we do things. No, I don't think you guys will know the difference. Yeah. <laughs> you guys don't know. We're just bra- well, not where Rumi. Rumi's just bragging because he's fucking awesome. <laughs> That's cool, stoked. man. I'm pretty happy about that. Thanks, man. That's it's, cool. It's gonna be fun, and hopefully, hopefully, it means we get some really sweet interviews. Yeah, that could be pretty cool. No, no promises, though. <laughs> I want to be. I want to be on the zombie or something on the show. I know, right? If they need like someone who's like really handsome and big penis to get killed or something. <laughs> you said no penises. No, I could put my penis. In. <laughs> <laughs> they are putting the first nude zombie into the show. Is that true? Yeah, fully nude zombie. Boy or a girl? I don't know. Vote girl. Are you, I don't know if you get a vote, but vote girl. <laughs> I mean, nothing against boys, but... A big old rotting... <laughs> did you did you used to pause the nude scenes in Shining with the girl in the bathtub and be like, uh, kind of. <laughs> yeah, but when you had VCRs, it was hard to pause right. things. So you'd hit pause and then it'd take a second. So I'd <clears> always actually stop on like the... Gross. Once blo- it started to be like, yeah, the, the skin gr- coming off. Yeah, the gross rotting butt, and you're like, no. That was a hard one. 
Uh, that's that's super cool though, dude. That's that's neat stuff. So yeah, we'll we'll bring you updates and stuff like that. And yeah, yeah, I probably won't keep be able watching to... the show for sure. Yeah, keep watching the show, keep enjoying it, and um, yeah, hopefully we get to just bring you more stuff and meet more people who bring things to the Launchpad Podcast. Speaking of which, listen to some of our upcoming episodes because I don't want to I don't want to reveal too much right now, but we have some pretty cool interviews. Yeah. In our on our upcoming episodes, so check that out. Some comic book stuff. Yeah, some um, really cool. It's going to be neat. Stuff. So check it out. To keep up with us, you can check us out on our Facebook, our Instagram, and our Twitter at Launchpad Pod, and on our website, launchpadpod.com. Next week, we start our Godzilla series. We got uh, we got friend of the show Chris Canavo in the house. He's going to be talking Godzilla with us. We're going to go into the Showa series. That's all those like fifteen movies from like the sixties and seventies. Those are like some of my favorite. Godzilla vs. Oh. Gigan, Godzilla vs. Megalon, the, the first couple Mecha Godzillas. Yeah, reading my mind. I like that we both fucking yeah, we both we could be we could be fucking Jaegerin right now. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> we got this Jaeger d- dance down. <laughs> what would ha- what would the Jaeger do though when we high fived each other constantly? Because everything we did we'd be high fiving. Punch himself in the dick. <laughs> What I what I always thought I watched Pacific Rib two the other day, and every time in it shows in the cockpit it shows the two pilots look at each other like their their heads turn and they're standing next to each other. So one guy's looking left, one guy's looking right. What does the Jaeger head do when that happens? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Until next time, Rocketeers out. Liftoff. We have a liftoff.